Trigger warning. This podcast may contain descriptions of physical, emotional, sexual, spiritual, mental, and child abuse in a church setting. Listener discretion is advised. What you're about to hear is a story of events that unfolded within a church. Events that define truth is stranger than fiction. Events that ultimately led to the escape of several families. These families are known as the Rebellion. So in the weeks following the first meeting, the others in the Rebellion worked on a policy. They had a children's section and then another policy for adults. And what they did is they researched and like used another church's policy and like switched the names and found another policy from another church. And they're like, oh, this might be good. And initially when I saw them, I'm like, oh, well, this has a committee in it. And I personally, guys, I don't think that, you know, the church is going to go for this. Because it's a pastor-led church, and he's not going to want to hear the word committee because the assistant pastor had already told me not to form a committee. So I'm like, I don't think they're going to go for this. But they were all, like, really hopeful. You know, it seemed like the rest of them were because, Luke, even you were somewhat hopeful that this could happen. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess I was a little pessimistic in this, but my understanding is the... The rest of them were like, listen, they are willing. They told us that they are willing to do this, so let's just show them what we have. And I'm like, you know what? Maybe this will work. You know, I kind of like went a little more optimistic view because the rest of them were so optimistic. I was also pretty pessimistic about it. And I actually didn't put a lot of work into the policy. The others kind of bounced ideas off me and I offered a couple other resources, which they didn't end up using because what they had going on was worded better. Uh, I know that they were reaching out to other pastors via email, finding out what their policies were, getting a feel for that. And there were a couple other places that were really helpful in just understanding how theirs worked so that we could try to kind of adapt it to the size and needs of our church. But again, I didn't put hardly any of the effort into it because I was exhausted, for one thing, from the first meeting and just not extremely hopeful that this was actually going to pass. Because for me, I saw a lot of loopholes for them. Uh, Say we do have a policy, they agree on it, they pass it. They're still not accountable because if someone reaches out to them in a private meeting, they can just bypass any committee or policy and just not tell anybody and continue to do what they've always done and just keep it quiet because that seems to be the mo just keep it quiet don't tell anybody nobody will know and nobody needs to know how many of these issues are going on so that was kind of where my mind was i wasn't super hopeful about any of it we once again met for lunch and we discussed these policies and we looked through them, and it's like, you know, there are some issues, but I we thanked the others for finding them and doing what they could, because they spent a lot of time trying to research the best one and, like, 
put it together and I'm like, you know, I don't think this whole aspect of what we refer to as a care team, which would be a committee to help out with abuse in the church. I, I'm like, I don't think they're going to go up for this, but if you guys want to give it a try, let's, let's, let's give it a try. I mean, I thought personally it would be a great idea because the church was so large, there's no possible way that the pastor could handle everything and having like more views on it might be a good idea. So the next meeting came around and we went into it, at least I went into it, hopeful because of the first meeting. We were ready to discuss the policy with them and hear their concerns about it. And I assumed there would be concerns. And so we set up the tables, the snacks and the drinks, and the policies were available and we had sent them out to them. At this meeting, the assistant pastor and the pastor's wife were gone. And Luke was also on speakerphone because he was out of state. The first thing that happened is pastor sat there and he motioned to start the meeting. And then seemingly out of nowhere, the Sunday school director just announced in the harshest tone imaginable. Before we begin, we need to clarify something. At the last meeting, Arnold was called a liar. And as Sunday school director, I need to protect my teacher. He has been defamed, called names. There's been a video passed around about him. He's been gossiped about, and I just find this disgusting. And I, I think we were just all dumbfounded. Like, what? I sat there and thought, wow, is this really happening? So I was the one that he was talking about and to his, like she said, his tone was not at all expected and he didn't actually ask me a question. He just looked straight at me and started blasting these things at me and I was in shock for a second just looking at him like, what's happening? And then I was like, hey, I think you're talking to me. Um at the last meeting, I said that he lied. I did not say that he was a liar. I said he lied because he did lie about what happened. And I was trying to point out that this is part of why we need instant replay for security. And it turned into a whole conversation, a lot of rebuttal, a lot of really not the right spirit for what we were trying to do. At one point, he said... Well, when I talked to him, he said he couldn't even remember doing it. So he didn't lie. And at that point, I turned to him and I asked, you know, that's actually worse, right? And he just sat there kind of quietly and agreed. And the tensions were really high in the room as Estelle was just berated about this. And it was it was really, really rough. His wife also... Um, pointed out that she was very upset that I had I had requested that he be removed from nursery duty. He was not. As a solution to protect the church and to just do a responsible thing as the director, I had moved him to an adjacent room. It's all It has like a half door between it. I had moved him to the other side of the room and his wife for nursery that night because it had a security camera in it. And it just seemed like a responsible thing to do. And his wife started berating me about this and saying that um, it was vindictive of me to do that. And he, she couldn't believe that I would do that. And I told her 
I had gotten the pastor's permission to do this. I was trying to protect the church and protect him as well, because if he is falsely accused of something, we have security footage so that we can look back and say yes or no or whatever. So I told her I had gotten permission from the pastor and the pastor looked at me and said, I was just trying to placate you and took no responsibility for any of it. He said those exact words and I I couldn't believe that. But it was, it was the tension. Yeah, you could probably cut it with like anything. It was, it was really scary in there. And at this point, I'm like, well, you know, maybe we should just leave. We came here to talk about this policy. And instead, we're dealing with arguing about literally nothing. And of course, later that night, I found out every single one of us felt the exact same way. Like, we should Mm -hmm. probably just leave. So my perspective and my input was a little bit unique because I actually, for reasons unknown, I had lost my voice. Um, So I was unable to participate whatsoever. I was there. I was able to listen. I was able to take notes and things of that nature, but I was not able to participate because I had no voice at all. And I believe some of the important things for me to mention from my perspective are how selective grace is with these people in leadership. They talk about extending grace to the offenders, extending grace to the people doing wrong, extending grace to the people being mistreating others and being abusive to others. And, oh, need to give them grace, need to give them room, need, need to give them opportunity. But then when other people, and then they can make mistakes. Leadership can make any mistakes that they want, but it's, it's excusable, completely excusable. It's okay because we're not prepared for this. We're not trained for this. We don't know what we're doing, so it's fine. But then if anyone outside of that, anyone that they want to, anyone that they want to put blame on does something and doesn't handle it perfectly right, then shame on them because there, there is no excuse for them. You should know better. You should have, it shouldn't be handled this way, but if they handle things inappropriately, it doesn't matter because it's fine and excusable. And so to start off this meeting and to allow someone in leadership to berate a member and not try to mediate, not try to help, not try to add any perspective or any assistance whatsoever was very cowardly. It was very cowardly. It was either cowardly or deliberate to allow that to happen and to put angst between the leadership families and the young married families. And it was extremely disappointing, infuriating to think that that would be allowed and that from the way it was handled, that it was no big deal. I am extremely disappointed. And for the fact that it was coming from someone in the first meeting who showed so much support and so much hope on saying that their daughters had dealt with these things and they felt that this was necessary, to then turn around and to attack the very hand that was reaching out to try to help them baffles me. I don't know where it came from. It was sad, disappointing, and confusing. And at one point, the Sunday school director's wife announced, Pastor, I'm going to excuse myself because I don't think I have the right attitude for this. And she left. And, you know, the arguing continued a little more. And I felt like such heaviness that my friend Estelle was being torn to shreds. 
and I think everyone got everything out and the tension started to die down a little bit. So I'm like, well, this is my time to talk. And as soon as I started saying my first few words, the room was silent and all eyes were on me. And I said, as a parent of a, the child who was involved, I can tell you the situation has caused much sadness and stress on our family. We really just want to move on and have a policy to deal with these things in the future. And at that point, Luke chimed in. So I was hearing all of this happening over the phone. It was really hard for me because I was like fuming that like they were acting so childish at this point and this wasn't even the purpose of the meeting and i'm like hey guys this is not why we came here how, so how about we just refocus on why we actually came here and that's on the policy not for blaming blaming people so the meeting continued but it was clearly heavily tainted by the prior tension and poor Stella was over there just completely red and just sobbing silently i didn't even notice that she was sobbing until I looked over because she was so silent, but it was very heartbreaking to see her like that. And this, this tension was just, it was, it was rough to deal with. And the deacons brought up many points about the policy that were valid, but it didn't seem like we could really hear what their points were because all we heard was criticism. And I think that was because it was so heavily tainted by the the prior tension and after a while i'm like oh wait they're just trying to help but it was it was really hard for me to make that connection that they were actually interested in this policy this first policy meeting was very difficult to get through because that was allowed to happen at the beginning of the meeting and it turned everything into an us versus them again and i'm like wow they didn't throw away like the policy immediately oh so that was kind of like my thought I'm like wow i can't believe that they weren't like eh, committee nope so i'm like wow they must be okay with the concept of a commit i i can't believe it i was really shocked about that I'm like oh maybe we can make this work out then but even after like all these thoughts like i left the meeting feeling really gross and defeated and i don't think any of us slept well that night all the hard work that have been put in by everyone from the young married side to come up with a policy draft so that they could read it and then to have it to feel like it was just being picked apart looking for any hole and any issue when we were not ready for this to be finalized we were trying to help we were trying to present options and ideas and some of them were valid it was very like very fair i'm not saying that everything they did was coming out and attacking it but when there was so much work and so much effort put into it for things like that to be to be dissected that they were and to be treated that way, it just the progress that we had made and that we thought we had made in the first family meeting was completely wiped away in the second meeting. It was back to square one. Yeah, my car ride home that night was just sobbing uncontrollably. I walked into that meeting feeling down to start with and I had been beating myself up a lot that whole day feeling like I hadn't put enough into the policy and so I already felt very down and then to be just beat up I just felt like I was just beat up that it was very it was very tough for me and I did stop the entire way home and I barely slept that night and um, I went home and wrapped myself in an electric blanket and had ice cream 
And we, the next few days for me and Elmer were very tough. It was very quickly after this that we looked at each other and he said, this is just tearing our family up. Our kids aren't happy. You're not happy. This doesn't seem to be really resolving in a way that's helpful. We should probably just leave the church at this point because it's clear that it will be very difficult for us to walk back in there and feel accepted or heard by the leadership because of the way that, not only because of the way that they had treated me, but also because of the way none of the other leadership had stepped in and said, hey, this is not how we are doing this meeting. The pastor sat back, relaxed in his chair, reclined with his legs kind of up, like, hey, this is cool, whatever, this is fine. And that that was just as hurtful to me personally as the berating I was taking. So that is where we started talking very, very seriously. Like, it looks like we're going to leave the church at this point. So after this, when everybody was feeling pretty down, we were like, okay, we got to change this policy because, you know, the deacons had really nitpicked it a lot and they wanted the child policy and the adult policy combined and they wanted it shortened. And my thought was, hey, they're actually willing to be okay with this. So, hey, Luke, you want to work on it? And he was in another state, but we spent over six hours merging and perfecting the policy. We took it from about 25 pages, maybe more, to seven pages. And we were really proud of our work. Like, it looked pretty good. It was like everything that they had asked for. So the second draft was distributed and the next meeting was scheduled. It's also notable at this point to just point out that we did not write the words to this policy nor were we doing this behind anyone's back. The drafts of the policy were sent to members of leadership. The pieces of policy that we're putting together came from other churches, other ideas, a lot of collaborating. Always, at all points of writing this policy, were we seeking input from leadership. One of the deacons was giving his input continuously. He had the most concerns. He was constantly in contact with us as far as what he wanted, what he was hoping for. So I I just want to note that none of this was done behind anyone's back or just solely our group involved. We were always open to having other people involved in it and other input. And also it was and they like the leadership was totally okay with us doing this because like i said we had offered and they were like yeah let's do that yeah please help us it wasn't like we were like hey here's a policy pass it or else like we changed the things that they asked we condensed it we did everything that they said needed to be done to it even if we didn't agree with what they said needed to be done with it so at this point estelle how recently had you taken over as nursery director six months So she was working on a handbook for the nursery because there wasn't one. When I took over the ministry of leading the nursery, I 
was very, very passionate about this ministry. I wanted to see a lot more transparency, but I wanted to see a better, clearer duty description. I, I felt like asking new people to come in and work in the nursery required that maybe they have some resources to look at, like a description of what is expected for this position as just working in the nursery. Because to me, that just seems clear. If you're going to step into a ministry, you need to know what to do. When do you change diapers? When do you clean? Where are the cleaning supplies? How does this all work? And I wanted that to be clear. So I had been working on this for a while, a couple months at least, and I had said something to it to different leadership uh, multiple times. And it seemed like nobody in leadership really cared about what I was doing or what my vision for this ministry was at all. They just wanted me to do it, like whatever. The pastor had told me multiple times, I trust you to just do what you feel is right and just take it and do what you feel is right to, and I, you got it. So I made a handbook and I knew that I was probably getting ready to leave the church. So I wanted to leave it in the best condition possible. So I assembled all of the things that I had done. I made a a vision. It was kind of like an acronym of what I wanted to see this ministry look like. What was the inspiration for this ministry? Because I wanted to inspire my nursery workers to feel like what they're doing is important. So I had made that. I had made a paper that explained background checks and explained what was needed to be done in a practical way and all of these things. What is expected of the the director of the nursery. And I had posted it on the Facebook group where we did most of our communicating as far as just last minute things, but also is just a better way to share pictures. So I took pictures of all of the papers and uploaded them. And I had mentioned that there was also going to be a new bathroom policy, which I had been told by the Sunday school director there already was one for that minist- for the Sunday school ministry. And so I was just going to basically make the exact same thing for the nursery bathroom because there's one bathroom in there and I feel like it's important for the workers to have a policy um, up on the wall so that when they're in the bathroom, they know that they're not to be in the bathroom with a small child alone with the door closed. That was the whole intent. Just, uh, you need to keep the door open so that there's accountability for that. And I hadn't gotten that written up yet because I was still working on the wording and I was going to talk to the Sunday school director and ask him what his wording was. It turns out he, I I don't even know if he had written it out. So I don't, anyway... I posted all of this on Facebook and then <clears throat> the the deacon called me <clears throat> the next day and um, he told me that he needed to see the policy. He told me, first of all, he told me he was calling on behalf of the pastor and he told me that he had talked to the pastor and that they decided that they wanted to see the policy before I gave it to anyone else. And 
I was like, okay, um, I can do that. Um, he also told me that he felt that I was hiding something from him and that I was trying to push a policy through that was not written yet, which was not true. It had nothing to do with the sexual harassment policy at all. It was just me trying to get my ducks in a row because I knew I was about to leave the church. And he made these accusations to me multiple times. And every time that I tried to defend myself or to explain myself, really, I was just trying to explain it, he would talk over me or he would just say, no, we need to see it. And there was no discussion to be had. And um, finally, I just was like, okay, this conversation's over. So I, that was when I really knew we can't go back to the church. They obviously think that I'm hiding something. They don't trust me. They don't, they're not hearing me. They're not trusting me anymore. Something else is happening behind the scenes that I don't know about. I don't know what's going on, but I cannot be part of this church anymore. And it was very, it was very upsetting. So we just ended that conversation and then immediately I texted the pastor and told him, we need to talk. We need to have a meeting. We need to talk about this. Um, I just sent him a really quick text. I said, hey, we need to talk about this. These accusations are very hurtful and I need to get this cleared up. And he was like, okay, um, that's fine. Let's meet tomorrow, which was Sunday. So we agreed to meet on Sunday after the morning service. That Sunday morning, church was canceled because of snow. So I was determined that we were having this meeting. Um, I needed to get this taken care of immediately. I could not let this fester because I was very, very hurt. And so I texted or I texted the pastor and told him, like, I still want to have this meeting today. Can we meet at two or three? And he was like, oh, well, someone died in the church, so I'm taking care of that. I can meet you at whatever time. So I drove my kids to town. Also this morning, my husband got called into work. So this was supposed to be a, a meeting between me and my husband and the pastor. But my husband got called into work. And so I was like, well, I'm still doing this. No matter what, if he can get there in time or not, I'm doing this because this needs to be taken care of immediately. So I drove to town in the snow and took my kids to Lizzie's house and dropped them off and then went to the church and had this meeting with the pastor. And um, when I walked in, I was a little bit late because of the snow. And uh, I walked in, I sat down, he was messing with his mail or something. And um, immediately... The meeting started with accusations and criticism. Um, he started saying things and then backing and then backing up on them, backtracking on them. Uh, at one point, he said he's he brought up a reference to a feminism post that I had posted on Facebook um, because of the it, it referenced not feeling heard by men, um, and he criticized it immediately. He told me that um, me using the word feminism made the church look bad. 
he said that the devil was using me to destroy his church. Um, he told me that I should be posting things on Facebook that were Bible verses and not the things that I was posting. He told me that uh, at one point he said something about TV shows nowadays are all about trying to make men look stupid. And I just looked at him like, what do you, how, how do you know that? And then he was like, well, I don't watch them, but that's what they're about. And then he like totally backtracked on that. And then he said, the things that you post on Facebook, they're not good. They're not appropriate. And he's, and I was like, kind of baffled. And then he's like, but I don't have Facebook. I'm not on that thing. And <laughs> which is not actually true. He has a secret Facebook profile that he uses privately. We all know this. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> and I just remember it, it feeling very much like an attack for one thing, but also very foolish, I guess is the word, because he was saying things and then backtracking and then saying things and then backtracking. And it was just very weird. And then, um, eventually he sat down and we talked more and it was clear that this meeting was not going to be about my nursery policy. I tried to keep directing him to talking about that and he didn't, he kept picking it up and looking at it and then setting it down and pushing it aside. And it was clear that that is not actually what he wanted to talk about and this was going to go his way. And um, it was very frustrating because I wanted to explain myself and he didn't want to hear it. So then at one point we were talking and he asked me why I don't sit in all the church services. And I tried to explain to him that there are several reasons why I don't sit in the church service. I don't owe him an explanation for any of those things because they are really personal. But I did explain them anyway. In a lot of ways, um, it has to do with different things. One, one of those things is just working in the nursery because... People dropped out of the nursery like flies over the last couple years, even before I was the director, and I was in the nursery often. And I don't say that re with resentment because I love that ministry, but I was often in the nursery. So it was very hurtful for him to be so condescending about that when I was putting so much of myself into this ministry that I wanted to see thrive, which I had only been doing for six months. And it feels like I'm still trying to figure it out. And I, I don't think it's unreasonable to have a time frame of getting that set up. At one point, he looked at me and got in my face and said, if you believe this Bible, then I know that I've got you here and you won't be going any other place. And he said, you will not find a church like this within a hundred miles. And that was very off-putting to me. And I got up at one point and left. I started walking out of the room and told him, my husband and I will not be coming back here. And he started 
crying and he was like come back come back let's talk and I was like okay I need you to understand why I referenced feminism because this was his thing that he kept going back to was don't you know that feminism is bad feminism is abortion feminism makes our church look bad and he kept going back to this and uh I was like, I need you to understand why I use that term and what it means to me because it doesn't mean the same thing to everyone. I'm, I explained some of my personal background about having an emotionally and, and verbally abusive father who was very misogynistic. And I explained to him my heart. I shared stories. I cried. I shared my heart with him and I told him, that feminism to me just means that women get to be heard and have a voice. And he told me women are not equal to men and women are to be an, under the authority of men. And at this point, I knew that pretty much everything I said was going to be pointless. So we kind of wrapped it up and we left on a good note feeling, I feel it felt like, better because I had been able to share my story. I felt like maybe he might understand me. But then as I was walking to the door, he said, now what do you think about your post on Facebook? And I was like, kind of in shock. And I was like, well, I'm not going to take it down. And he was like, oh, okay. And then at this point, I took my nursery folder and my key and I handed it to him and I said I am going to step away from this ministry for a while and I gave it to him and he said were you planning on doing this when you walked in (laughs) and I was like well yeah Uh, I didn't tell him that I had planned on telling him that we weren't coming back to the church period and leaving it at that but I didn't feel comfortable saying that to him Because I didn't want to speak on behalf of my husband because he had made it clear that I was under the authority of my husband. I didn't want him to think badly of my husband by and or give him any kind of fuel for saying that my husband wasn't the head of our home or criticizing my husband in any way. So I just left it at that. And um, then as I walked out, he said, oh, yeah, by the way, it seems like you don't really like the assistant pastor. And tried to get me to say things that I didn't want to say and didn't feel were correct. And I was like, no, I just don't agree with all of the marriage advice that he gives because I've seen how it's hurtful. And I just walked away and we left. My husband and my husband came to pick me up and we left. And that was the end of the meeting. At that end of the meeting, I felt better that that I had been able to express myself, but at the same time, I knew that we were not going to be coming back to this church. And when she came to pick up her kids, she, like, Estelle did not tell me everything that happened. She gave me, like, like a five-minute, like, oh, yeah, we talked about some things, and, like, she did not go into, like, any detail. Like, it was pretty base. The only thing I remember is that, like, just 
a very quick outline of like, oh, yeah, we talked about some personal stuff. And I'm like, so did you leave? No, you know, we had a good talk. Like, I could feel like maybe she was like all conflicted, I felt, and like didn't really know what was going on. And I'm like, eh, okay, I'll give her some time. And the only thing I remember that she hasn't mentioned is that they were discussing the Arnold incident quickly. And Estelle, you told me that Pastor said Arnold just reacted to Lily. And he didn't realize that he had both pushed and slapped her. And I'm like, oh, yes. What? This is like one of the biggest fears of mine. Like, Pastor has probably been telling these deacons and all these people like, oh, yeah, they're making a big deal out of nothing. Because, I mean, if that's what he thought, he was probably telling them, oh, yeah, you know, she walked up and, like, touched him and he unexpectedly, like, swatted her. But that's just totally not what happened. And I'm like, oh, great. <sighs> we should probably, like, I don't even know how to fix that. But we had showed him the video. So he should have known. Like, maybe he just forgotten intentionally. You know, I don't know. But that was the thing that, like, really kind of weirded me out. And then I think it was a few days later, Estelle, you were like, we're leaving. We're out. We're gone. Yes. We needed a couple days to process the mean, the last meeting. And my husband was just like, this is it. We're done. This, this is ridiculous. I was told that I was being used by the devil to destroy this church and that how do you walk into a situation like that? Like, how do you walk back into a church knowing that all of the people on leadership have been talking about you behind your back and passing around your Facebook posts and determined that you are a threat to the nursery because you believe that women should have an equal voice, that that there's just no way I could walk back into that. We were done. Are you willing to say what your feminism post said? Mm -hmm. So my feminism post on Facebook said, I need feminism because when I speak, I am dismissed. But when my husband says the same damn thing, he is respected. So during our meeting, also he had said that he was concerned that in my post, I had said the word damn and he said he was concerned that I was saying other things also but then also when I was telling him the my personal story about how my father verbally abused my mom and all of those things he said oh yeah he probably called her a bit too didn't he and he just said that word right out there and I was like wow <laughs> Okay, you just got done telling me that you haven't sworn in 40 years and you just berated me for saying a very tame curse word, but that just flowed right out of your mouth. Like, that was <laughs> concerning and confusing. And how did you officially leave the church? Oh, yeah. Okay, so my husband sent the pastor a very long text. I actually haven't read the text, so I don't know what all was in it, but it I do know that the main points were we can't be part of a church that has a culture of protecting men who are hurting others and a culture that does not protect women and children. Those were really the points um, that he had, my husband had made. 
noting the word cult, this was a cultural problem in, within the church, and we could no longer be part of it. And after this happened, I admitted to myself that I felt the same way. Like, we needed to leave. I just couldn't believe that I was still there after all of this had happened. I couldn't believe that we were still fighting. But I'm like, eh, you know, maybe things will work out. We gotta keep trying. But I, I knew deep down that this probably wasn't gonna work out. And within days, a new nursery director was appointed and the online nursery group was deleted. Like, it was over for Estelle and Elmer. They were erased. Erased.